morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Steve Williamson here. Sitting across from me is uh, Karen McClung. We had a little bit of excitement in setting up the show uh, this week, and Karen will tell you about it because we do want to reach out to our the guests that we were going to have. Yeah, those of you saw, we had scheduled Mark Robert Gordon, who's an Arizona elections lawyer and a member of the Democratic National Committee. Unfortunately, Mark had a car accident over the weekend, so he's he's home recuperating, and we'll reschedule him. We'll try to maybe get him on next Monday to talk about national democratic politics. But he's not seriously he's hurt. He's not seriously hurt, no. He's, no. Just, home, he's just home recuperating. So. And we had somebody step in at the last minute and willing to be on the show. You want to introduce our yes. guest? So I, I called on uh, a friend at the very last minute, um, Jevin Hodge, who in the past has been a vice chair of the Arizona Democratic Party. Uh, he's been on oh, a couple of those lists that magazines put out of you know the 40 most dynamic people under 40 or 30 under right. 30 and these lists. Um, he's uh, the head of a board of directors for a Head Start program down in Phoenix right now. He does motivational speaking, and he's also running for Congress against Representative David Schweikert. I can't tell you what district number it is since they've changed them all around, but he's it's we'll a have to ask yeah. him about yeah, and, that. And um, back in 2020, Jevin ran for the in Maricopa County for the board of supervisors and lost his race by sort of a heartbreaking 403 votes out of 470,000. Wow. So we, we're hoping that you know, all carries through and we elect him to Congress because he's somebody, the kind of congressman we need representing Arizona. So um, good morning, Jevin. You want to just sort of say a few words about yourself? Or? Uh, Karen, Steve, <laughs> I have to tell you, it is a great honor to be here with you all. I, uh, uh, some of the best days I've had is traveling up to Sedona and the Verde Valley to spend some time campaigning and getting folks excited with you all. So it's uh, uh, I bet virtually, or or I guess uh, telephonically, uh, it is uh, absolutely a pleasure to be back with you. Uh, and uh, a little bit about me, you recapped it perfectly. I, uh, I'm an Arizona native, born and raised here, uh, son of a single parent. My mother raised my brother and I by herself and basically taught us everything we needed to know uh, to be successful. Uh, I'm, I'm a businessman by day. I lead national growth and engagement for a strategic communications firm. We do social impact work, and I get to work on the nation's most pressing issues by day, um, like uh, advancing COVID-19 vaccine outreach and mitigating homelessness, and issues pertaining to schools and, and bonding and, and all of the great things that keeps our economy going and our country afloat and uh, uh, heavily involved in our community, um, several number of boards, but most importantly, Karen, like you mentioned, I'm the proud president of the Booker T. Washington Child Development Center. It's the longest-running head start in the state of Arizona, um, and uh, uh, no stranger to politics, like you said. Vice Chairman of the Arizona Democratic Party. I was the youngest statewide black official in the country. At 23 years old, I represented 1.5 million people, traveled around the state and around the country, uh, advancing uh, the importance of getting young people involved and young people engaged, and that ultimately led to my run for the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. We brought in the support of folks around the county, around the state, around the country, including Pete Buttigieg, Marsha Fudge, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, 
to talk about the importance of Arizona and the importance of these local positions. And while we thought we won, we were up by 25,000 votes on election night. Unfortunately, 15 days later, the last race to be decided in the state of Arizona uh, was ours, and uh, we lost by 403 votes out of 475,000. Uh, but my grandmother always says it best, one door closes for another door to open. And the opportunity to run for the Congress presented itself. And we jumped in. Uh, a big part of leadership is doing the job when the job's not getting done. Um, and, and David Schweiker's not doing it. So I jumped in then. It was Arizona 6. Now it's Arizona's first congressional district. And we have a great opportunity to win this. And we'll talk about this a little bit later about how the district has changed. But mm-hmm. my campaign has garnered the support of the Congressional Black Caucus several members of the caucus, several members of the United States Congress, um, uh, a tremendous amount of organized labor, uh, including the Teamsters, the plumbers, the pipe fitters, the boilermakers, um, and um, a tremendous amount of local uh, leaders here in District 1, mayors, school board members, uh, state lawmakers. And at the top of that list is Congressman Ruben Gallego, who's on our side and helping us charge forward. So I'm so excited, Steve and Karen, to be here with you all, and I look forward to the conversation. Tell us a little bit more about the district. I guess um, we barely know what our district is up here in Sedona. It's just, it's just now been defined. What does the district that you're running in uh, look like down there? Yes, and so I spent a lot of time focusing on this. This is something that I, uh, 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 I love. Um, and so District 1 um, is going to be basically the northeastern portion of Maricopa County. Okay, and so that's going to comprise the cities of Scottsdale in its entirety, Paradise Valley, Fountain Hills, North Phoenix, Cave Creek, Carefree. Um, and then we have the Rio Verde. And then basically, if you're driving up to Payson uh, and you're leaving Maricopa County to drive to Payson and you take the 87, pretty much the entire 87 until you merge with the 188 is in this district. So a not insignificant amount of the Tonto National Forest is in this district as well. Um, as you head up to uh, uh, Roosevelt Lake, um, and you got parts of Salt River. And so we have a very, very diverse uh, uh, district here in uh, northeastern Maricopa County. Yeah, it sounds like that district has more rural areas than the district that Schweiker yeah. represents right now. It's- that's exactly right. And so not only do we have more rural areas than the district the Schweikers represents now, we also have more urban areas than the district the Schweikers represents now as well. And so the district comes down more into Phoenix, um, into central Phoenix and downtown Phoenix. And so basically, uh, if you are familiar with the areas of uh, Alhambra, we have the eastern portion of Alhambra where um, that straddles the I-17. It goes all the way to the 20th Avenue. We have the Biltmore. We have Arcadia. We have Arcadia Light. We have the Camelback Village. And so as you head down into central Phoenix, you have, and it goes all the way down to the Tempe border. We have the very northern tip of Tempe, uh, and it rides along the 202 loop um, and picks up the uh, Salt River Pima community. So there's two indigenous populations in this district and the Fort McDowell Yavapai community. Yeah, it would sound like that's you uh, for people that don't know some of those areas. That's a real diverse district economically. You know, you've got some areas that are very right. poor, some areas that are very rich. You got rural, right. you got Native American. You've probably you've got every ethnic group of people that live yep. in the Phoenix area. You've yeah. got a really diverse district. Is it yep. and is that one that you feel is going to be competitive for you as a no, Democrat? It, it, it has it has become uh, so. This district has been 
um, on the uh, DCCC's Red to Blue list for the last six years and has been among the top 25 most competitive seats in the country. With this redistricting that has happened here, this district has gone from being the top 25 most competitive seats in the country to number one, two, three, or five. Um, And so it's the top five. I would even argue it's in the top three most competitive seats. And and the reason being is because of the – so redistricting happened. In 2020, uh, President Joe Biden, Senator Mark Kelly, and the previous Democratic nominee each lost this seat by about 4.5 percentage points, or roughly 18,000 votes. Um, from there, uh, uh, the redistricting happened, and the district has moved about 5.5 points to the left because of the areas that I just uh, mentioned that were drawn into the district. And so the district has gone from a district that uh, President Biden lost by 4.5 points to without engagement, without effort, President Biden would have won this district by a point and a half. And so what this means is it puts this district into a special classification of, of districts that Biden won, but is held by a Republican. And there are only a handful of those around the country. Well, that's good to know, because when we look at some of the things that have happened in the rural area, most of us are looking at areas that have probably become more Republican rather than less so. And mm-hmm. it's, it's good to know that we that we're looking at another a district there that can be flipped from red to blue because we're going we're going to have a real fight to keep you know a democratic and a democrat in congress and tom o'halloran representing yep. us up here in in northern arizona in you know in the sort of eastern eastern half of northern arizona or sort of in that in that <laughs> district but it's going to that did change it's you know it's it's winnable but it's i'm you know, i hadn't heard we hadn't had time to sort of look at the demographics of what happened down in parts of southern arizona and phoenix so we're we're glad to hear that there's a district that you've got a good chance of flipping and adding another you know democrat since some of our other Incumbents who are running are running in very safe districts, and they're not going to get unseated by Democrats. That's yeah. right. And That's there's, right. There's extremely uh, – a lot of the districts are just – would be very, very hard for a Democrat to win under mm-hmm. any circumstance. If you were the best candidate in the world, <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, there's a couple of districts that are pretty, pretty difficult to win. Have you always wanted to be politics? How old are you now? <laughs> so I would be the uh, – so let me qualify it with this. Uh, when elected, I will be Arizona's first African-American member and the second youngest African-American member elected in the United States Congress, history of the United States Congress. And then I would be, of the current makeup of the Congress, the second youngest member in the Congress. I just turned 28 uh, in uh, the 15th of last month. Have you always wanted to be in politics and uh, so, interested in, in issues and – I love people. Um, I love people. That's really what it comes down to. And uh, I say this all the time. If I can go back and rewrite my life, I would probably be an ER doctor or a firefighter. I love being there to support um, when folks need the support and, and when you're looking for someone to help out. And I like the fast-paced environment. Um, medicine didn't work out for me, and I have very bad asthma, so being a firefighter wasn't probably <laughs> yeah. optimal for me. Uh, but this is the next best alternative where – I can have my hands on generally every issue that is impacting every person in this country. Um, and and it, it, it service has always been a big part of it. It's been a big part of the, the principles that my mother raised us on. Um, and I, 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 from a young kid, uh, from even, you know, I was heavily involved in things. 
but I would I would be the the seven year old that would sit and watch the news every night. <laughs> the news junkie. And, um, and you know, my mother talks about this extensively, and so um, I, I naturally became aware of the issues. I naturally was very inquisitive about the issues, uh, and then politics was kind of the uh, the offset of of my involvement. Um, and, and my, my civic engagement that, that happened from such a young age. So I've always been around it. I've always loved it. Um, and then, you know, one day the light switch went on and, and, and I realized I was actually good at it too. Um, and, and I, uh, I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, I noticed in your bio that you were out there knocking on doors for Representative Harry Mitchell when you were in middle right. school, and you know, right. so you were the really out there early volunteering and uh, for campaigns and mm-hmm. doing things. And I know you yeah, were sort of a volunteer in Obama's campaign, so you've been you know sort of out there. And, and uh, I've known your mom as a school board member for some years. I I met your grandmother this past weekend, and like I I can see where that sort of genetic part comes along with <laughs> that the that drive to go out and make things better. And get yep. involved and, and not just sit on the sidelines, but go out there and find a way to, to do something positive in the world. So That's yeah. right. I have some good ladies in my life that keep me right. Tell us a little bit about your opponent for, for folks up here. I mean, he has, well, I'll let you characterize his rep- mm-hmm. reputation because mine probably too harsh. But he has, a, <laughs> you know. Well, for, well, Steve, great, great question. And for starters. Uh, he has 11 ethical violations that he admitted to. And so Schweikert is not only uh, corrupt, but he's chaotic as well. And so he, he's admitted to the 11 ethical violations. He has taken money from us and put it into his own pocket. This is an individual that has voted against um, lowering the cost of prescription drugs. This is an individual that has voted against a bill that even Donald Trump supported to end surprise billing. This is an individual that doesn't look out for anyone but himself and is solely focused on himself and the lobbyists that fund the work that he's doing. I mean, in, in addition to that, I mean, he's just fully chaotic at that as well. Um, you have you have an individual that um, um, voted to overturn the 2020 uh, presidential election. You have someone that uh, looked in the face of the bipartisan infrastructure bill and said that that was bad for his district and voted it down. Hmm. Absolutely ridiculous. And so, you know, these are just his voting records. In addition to that, you have uh, an individual that is one of the founding members of the Freedom Caucus. And so we hear the Freedom Freedom Caucus in his existence now and all of the nonsense that they're spewing out. This gentleman founded that Freedom Caucus that uh, has led to the destruction of our democracy. You have someone that is basically un-American in every way, shape, or form that believe that the insurrection is good, that supported the audit that happened here, that voted to overturn the election. In every opportunity he gets, he votes not in the interest of the Arizona people. Um, he calls uh, climate change folklore. Um, and I can I can just keep going on and on, but I think you get the idea of the individual that we're up against here. I do. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that character <laughs> characterization, but um, but that it's probably extremely accurate. I you know we we hear about his reputation sort of indirectly up here. Um, what what do you think is going to make your campaign work? 
uh, for you and, and, and for Democratic Party and, 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 and just voters in general, given that he's won re-election despite all this evidence about his malfeasance and, and, uh, illegal activity or at least against congressional rules? Yeah, well, I think for starters, the redistricting process plays into our favor. Um, we need all of these stars to align to beat David Schweikert. And, and before, he's just rolled on his merits of just being having an R behind his name uh, in a district that elects R's. And so now that we have a district that is a net neutral, we're going to be able to actually speak to the people of the issues that matter most. In addition to that, you have a, a wing of the Republican Party that I like to call reality Republicans that believe in what's happening here in this country and how you have a faction of uh, of the right side of the aisle that is trying to destroy everything that we've worked so hard to protect and to preserve. Uh, and then in addition to that, he's just not a good campaigner. Uh, for the first time in 10 years, he has a competitive primary. And so if he makes it out of the primary, uh, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, and then the last piece of it is what I would argue is the most important piece of it is we're not running against David Schweikert. We're running for Arizona. We need to give people a reason to be excited and to believe again. I want to inspire people to want to participate in their democracy, to be uh, hopeful about what is to come here in the future. I'm not going to be able to solve the world. I know that. But I can do my part to fix our world. And the one thing that we know for certain is that David Schweitzer is doing the exact opposite. And so I'm running in District 1 to give people an opportunity to, for a chance at a better life. Um, and as, as cliche as that may sound, I got my opportunity because people believed in me, people believed in my family, and now I want to do the same for this district because I believe in this district and I believe in the people in this district. And we, we can change the tone. The politics right now, nationally, regionally, and locally, is just so disgusting. I mean, there's no other way of putting it. It's so polarizing. We can't have civil discourse anymore, and, and there always is a constant othering. My campaign is about having and making sure that folks from all walks of life have a space to be and exist um, and facilitate their viewpoints. Even if I disagree with them, we can have constructive dialogue around how do we find a solution. The one thing I can say for certain is when I'm in a member of Congress, I'm not going to be a representative or an ambassador of the 50% plus one that elected me, but the 100% of the individuals that represent that district. And that's the one thing that the current representative is just not doing. When you're saying the things we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about issues and the, the call or the interview we had was talking about messaging sort of on the national level, you know, from Biden, things that we need to, that we're sort of missing, missing the boat as Democrats sometimes in talking about successes and in being hopeful and positive mm -hmm. and messaging about, about the future. We've seen things in, in Virginia and other places where talking about the negatives of your, of your opposing party don't get you votes. That you, yeah. need, you need to have an actual message that says when you, you know, this is what we are going to do for you. This is how we're going to make sure that you have opportunities and that you have chances to get involved. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about is, is the message that we all should have as Democrats this time to, yep. to talk about what's, you know, what we can do and what we will do. That, that's exactly right. And a great opportunity that is a child tax credit. Um, there's an op-ed that I wrote a few months back that talks about the importance of initiatives like this. You want to talk about building up the middle class. You want to talk about supporting folks that 
work every single day just to have enough to get by. The child tax credit is one of those initiatives that is going to lift families out of poverty and put our, 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 our communities on the right track. It's going to help stimulate our economy. And I, can, I speak from experience. Coming up as the son of a single parent, the child tax credit would have significantly changed the lives of my brother and I. And when you think about that, when you think about what that means for, for children of all walks of life, having the ability to succeed because they're not worrying about if they can eat too much at dinner, right, or if they're cold at night because their parents can't play the heater uh, because they're, you know, they have to conserve their power bill, you know, this, these are going to provide for some of the basic essentials. And we're not talking about how it has significantly positively benefited the lives of our community. Yeah, I mean, and there are just so many other examples. Well, like, we know all the things that to do with sort of children's you know, health and well-being and education are the basis. I got involved in, in democratic politics after being on the school board and mm-hmm. watching locally as, you know, you know, watching our Arizona legislature you know, pay lip service to the value, values mm-hmm. of children's health insurance and education. Um, mm-hmm. It would seem as we have, besides the child care tax credits, I would, um, you know, that specifics are smaller. I would love to see Congress just expand and double the amount of money they spend right now in what's called Title I, which is mm-hmm. assistance to schools who deal, who have children who are in poverty. You know, it, it, you, every, almost every school gets some of that money because every school in the country almost has a certain percentage of their children who are living in poverty. You know, that's additional funds for, for tutoring, for reading, for mathematics. You know, that on the, hopefully when you get elected in the federal level, you can look at expanding, expanding those funds because that, again, would also make a huge difference in the lives mm-hmm. of millions and millions of children to just find that their school has that extra money to provide that assistance that's necessary. And- and economically, the one thing that we have to go back to is that it makes economic sense to do so. When you support a child, not only do you see the economic returns for that family, but down the road, the investment that you invest in a child when they need it most, return, you get the, the community, our society, and our country gets that return on the investment. And it's so important for us to communicate that. One of the things that has been a missed opportunity for the Democrats is to communicate around how we are strong on the economy. The one thing that we can see, and just if we present the facts here, is that the economy did worse under President Trump than under President uh, Obama. And uh, President Biden has created more jobs than you know any previous president in the first year of their administration. But we're not harping on those importance. And that's what we need to go back to. We need to stop talking about the stuff at 10,000 feet. Go back down to the brass tacks of how we are making lives better. We're putting more dollars in your pocket and we're doing everything that we possibly can to keep our communities safe. There is no ifs, ands, and buts about it. And until we can get back to that, Democrats are going to have a hard time communicating their message. Yeah, I I think that we've just let what and what Karen was talking about too with Title One, we've let these issues just drag on and on. Uh, we left poverty just keep. Uh, we did a whole lot about it back in the sixties. President Johnson and stuff made a big, big strong attempt to do something about it. But we now need to get serious about ending childhood mm-hmm. poverty. We need to now make it a a, a major issue and a major campaign, and actually just get it done. I don't see, you know, yeah, it's going to be expensive. Yeah, it's going to be complicated. Yeah, but 
what's the alternative to let this this uh, childhood poverty just drag out decade after decade and not do anything about it? That's right. Not doing anything about it until you know until it cripples our economy and and you know and, uh, it, it, it 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 stifles us from um, being innovative in our growth and our trajectory forward. Where we could have solved this problem, <laughs> you know, this is we could have had a solution for this. Yeah, and some of this is is just the language we used. You know, when when they talked about parts of the infrastructure bill, they talk about investment in building bridges. But when we mm-hmm. sometimes we need to make sure that every time we talk about poverty and about children and about education, we're talking about investment, not expense. We sometimes let ourselves fall into the the, dem, the Republican use of these words. You know that when you're spending money, it's an expense. No, sometimes when you're spending money, it's an investment. You know, we we all think about that ourselves in our own personal lives. It's different if you put a thousand dollars in the bank. Or you spend a thousand dollars on a vacation, but mm-hmm. we, and we've let sometimes let sort of Republican economics, economic, you know, economists drive that sort of discussion that that everything is an expense and we need to get away. As you said, to talk about this is an investment. We spend a billion dollars today, and we'll, in ten years we'll get five billion dollars back. From, I, I from, think that we've yeah, as, as Karen says, I think we've been dominated for decades by the Republican story about economics. And it's not realistic and it's not accurate about who brings prosperity and what kind of policy. Not exactly who brings prosperity because that's just I'm, I'm pushing Democrats there. But, but what kind of policies bring prosperity and yep. bring help to American people and what kind don't? And this um, fear of spending in when the spending is investing in the country and trying to create create the basic wealth of the country is is something that that I don't know I believe to, to me Democrats have not addressed the issue as as much as they should Karen yeah. and they've not confronted straight on the sort of very conservative economic modeling that politicians yeah. of trickle, both parties trickle down see. economics that we've talked about since Reagan and the viewpoint of let's view that multi-billionaire as a job creator Mm-hmm. And that's and yeah, you know, well they, you know, yeah, they're creating jobs, but that's not really the engine that's driving your local economy. It's it's you know jobs for small businesses, you know it's uh, it's making sure that the, your your workforce is educated so they have options that are not minimum wage jobs when they're eighteen or twenty one or whatever mm-hmm. age they finish their education. Yeah. What other bills and um, programs uh, would you favor, Darren? <laughs> well, I mean, all right. Give I us, give us the top two one. or three, <laughs> not not the one hundred long list. Right, right, right. Exactly. But I'll tell you this: there is an existential threat to our democracy currently, and so we need to do everything that we possibly can to pass the Florida People Act HR one, so that we can have the federal protections in place uh, that are going to enable all people that are eligible to participate in our democracy and into the democratic process. Safely um, and securely. We need to make sure that if you have access to vote, you can do so. And we have, like I said earlier, we have people that are working every single day to destroy what we've worked so hard to protect and to preserve. And that's a threat to the future of this country, to our democracy. So for me, that is a uh, number one priority, making sure that we uh, can do so. Next of which, uh, is ensuring that every Arizonan has the opportunity to have access to health care. 
and making sure that we are cutting down on the cost of prescription drugs, especially life-saving ones, and we can enable um, you know, folks to to take pride in and 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 getting their body checked out and the resources that they need, uh, ensuring that uh, we're growing the economy. And and by growing the economy, that doesn't you know investing in our smaller local businesses, uh, but that it just doesn't stop there. It's expanding home ownership opportunities. It's ensuring that that young family can get into a home to generate wealth for you know their family and then for their lineage. Um, and in addition to that is capitalizing on the opportunity to build this country. Infrastructure is going to be core in the first two decades of this century. And if we capitalize on it and we build 21st century climate resilient infrastructure, that is going to create jobs for our local communities. That is going to help mitigate some of the effects of climate change. And then that is going to help us be in a position so that we are as strong as we can possibly be for the next hundred years. But none of this is going to be possible without a comprehensive, sustainable response to climate change. Arizona has the worst air quality in the country. We need to do everything possible to mitigate that. Arizona has the greatest resource in the sun. We need to find and identify ways to capitalize on that. And then we can create an industry about that and not just, uh, you know, expanding upon solar, but the solar infrastructure industry. Just imagine if every solar panel that was made and distributed throughout this country had made and stamped in Arizona on the back. That would just be truly remarkable. Yeah, those are things we've we've talked about for decades. Right. And we have the opportunity to do so, but we need forward-thinking, visionary leadership to ensure that it happens. And we need, on that aspect, we've heard things that the um, U of A and ASU have got people doing phenomenal research around the area of climate change. They've got young people coming up with really innovative ideas, some of which are probably scalable to make a difference on things. So we need to, which goes back to, we need to support that kind of research and development. We need to acknowledge that, you know, the, you know, know, big companies are not the way, you know, they're not necessarily going to lead the charge in the future is that the, it's those students who are in a lab in the university somewhere right now thinking about these issues. So we need to go back to supporting it and making it possible for that kind of, of research and innovative research to be done because it's going to take more than what we have today. You know, putting a solar panel on every roof doesn't solve the problem, but there's some new technology that somebody is creating right now in some lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we need to support, and so we see that. Well, so mean, we need to support that research. Yeah. That's right. And innovation, innovation starts when we work together, and and we have the greatest economic hubs here in Arizona with uh, Arizona State University, University of Arizona. University of Northern Arizona, Grand Canyon University, that is leading the charge on being, you know, identifying, you know, cutting-edge solutions to our most pressing problems. And so when we when we work together and we innovate and we create together, we can inspire economic development. We can inspire solutions that is going to be useful and, 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 and revigorate how we approach problem-solving moving forward, which is just huge. Yeah, there's been a, I can't remember the exact statistic, but there's been a big drop in the percentage of the uh, GDP that's invested in research in the United States in the last 40 years. In other words, uh, we've been going down in terms of the amount of investment that we're making in research. And I think that's a disturbing trend. And people will say, well, we're China's 
getting better than we are. But that's not the point. The point is that we have slackened off our own processes, not even before, even before we compare how other countries are going to do, but certainly maintaining a strong area that's devoted to research, fundamental yep. and practical, yep. is, is yep. important. And I, I'm glad to hear that you're going to, to support that in the Congress. I mean, I would expect you to, but I, I'm glad <laughs> to hear your enthusiasm for that. I think that um, I think that we have to invest in the country, just as we were yep. talking about earlier. Yeah, and we need to look at that, you know, the people like you, and you know, we sit there, those of us up in, in this area of Arizona, and Sedona is the retirement community to a great degree. Mm. And we talked on things on, and other parts of northern Arizona, you know, Flagstaff sort of being an exception because of the university. And you look around and you don't see those people who are in their 20s and their 30s who are going to be the, the engine for change. So yep. I'm glad to have you on here, too, Duran, that, that Arizona is full of people who are already out there changing things and making their mark. You know they they're they're in Phoenix they're in they're in Tucson, but we've got a huge That's number right. of younger people. You know these you know, all these you know forty people under forty, thirty people under thirty. We have X Y Z. We've got here. those people on the national that are recognized nationally for innovative thought, and for energy and enthusiasm and change. And we need yeah you know, we need to be well, sure that you that your point, Karen. We you have know. you know you just look at Yavapai County. You got Embry Riddle. You know yeah. one of the greatest you know, aeronautical universities, institutions in the world that is right there in your back door. We need to showcase this. You know, this is a great place to live. And, you know, a part of the reason, a part of the way to get folks to realize that is just having leadership that respects respects their values and having leadership that is going to be forward thinking. And you're one of those because you went all the way across, you know, the country. You went to George Washington University. That's right. So you went all the way across the country to somewhere where somebody with your political interests might well have stayed. In Washington, yeah. as yep, a, a right. but you came back to Arizona to try to you know make change at home, you know, and we're we're glad you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I will continue to do so too. Yeah, because yeah, I know that um, I know that uh, that a lot of people here who may be listening who are Democrats uh, may remember you. You came up and marched with us in the St. Patrick's Day Parade some years back. Um, yeah. The last uh, was it 2018, I believe, and. The Flagstaff Fourth of July Parade. You've given sort of an address at our Democratic annual meeting on the, with the sort of last speaker on the agenda to get everybody to get up out of their chairs and go out and do something. You know, run for something, volunteer for something. You know, go out. Everybody has the capability to help in making all these changes. That's an important yep. issue. Just getting people to run for something. I mean, yep. Karen's run for the school board over and over, and I, I think sounds mm-hmm. like your mother has too. And there's no. You don't get paid at all, right? It's just yep. all all work, Karen. I mean, all work and no pay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So and, and, we need people to be willing it. to do that. Yeah. And we, we do. And one thing you have to to realize is that if you you have an opinion, you know, and you're inspired about something, you're fired up about something. Well, let's put that to good use, you know, and be involved and and take action so that you can implement the change that you want to see. The one thing that I will say that if there's anything I borrowed from the Republicans is that uh, when I was the vice chairman, I did a lot of studying of Ronald Reagan. Um, and Ronald Reagan in the 70s traveled around the country to inspire people to be a part of the Republican Party at the lowest level, uh, being a precinct committee person. And so when he was the governor, 
he would be in a barbecue house in Missouri as the keynote speaker for insert Republican Party county dinner. And he would stay there and he would eat with each and every one of them. And then he would remind them that it's so important for them to be involved. And if there was anything that I brought, borrowed from that was when I was the vice chairman, that was my ask for you to get involved, for you to get engaged, for you to exercise your, your, your granted ability to use your voice so that you can be a, 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 a someone that is, you know, impacting our communities in a positive way. And, and that's the least that we can do. And we owe it to the next generation because the previous generation did it for us. And we know in Arizona that can sometimes be frustrating. Um, today is also the, the first day of the Arizona legislative session. And mm-hmm. those of us looking at that have seen it in the, you know, all the bad bills that didn't go somewhere last year are coming back. Other things are coming back. But we're, you know, while Republicans have a majority, they don't have a very thick you know, majority. It's pretty thin that it just takes a couple of Republicans. So that even, even within Arizona, there are things people can do to, you know, push for good legislation, you know, mm-hmm. to, talk, to talk about the things, to get involved. We've got active people here in northern Arizona. Uh, we get together you know, when the session's going on once a week to talk about requests to speak on Arizona bills, to talk about writing, you know, emailing, calling up. Your, our, you know, not just our local representatives up here who are all pretty far-right Republicans, but to, to contact the rest of the legislature down there to talk to people yep, who's, who fun. are not as ideologically to the far right like our Senator yes, Wendy Rogers, but the, to talk to people whose minds may be changeable. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is what people forget. And this gets me into a lot of trouble with the further left version of uh, further left faction of our party. Compromise is not a dirty word. I, that is a hill that I will die on. When you, you can disagree with someone 98% of the time, but if you agree on just 2% of the things that you're talking about, that is 2% that you can deliver for the people. Whereas you would have been in constant gridlock and stalemate had you been arguing about the other 98%. And so when we can find avenues to deliver for people, everyone wins. Everyone wins. And we forget that that is a part of the process. We, we, we live in a country where we value the differing viewpoints of other people. Uh, we also understand that, you know, uh, everyone's not going to agree with us 100% of the time. But we know that and, on a lot of these big issues, you've been talking about education, opportunity, um, the infrastructure. The vast majority of Americans do agree. That's exactly right. So they, they do agree. Their representative in Congress or in the Arizona legislature may not agree, but the people, you know, the constituents, the voters agree. So we need to we need to we need to talk about those things where even if your personal congressman voted no, you need to know and need to let them know because that that you agree with something that the other parties proposed. Is there any way to deal with the constantly ginned up culture wars and phony investigations and stuff? The Republicans are. Uh, capable of doing like critical race theory is now it's it's a game and they played it over and over and over again whether it was like the soviet union is you know we've got to do this and that my whole life they played these various culture cards democrats are weak on national security there's been a dozen of these things i just wonder if there's anything we can do about that i guess to shift the focus uh, uh, to real issues? Yeah, it's to shift the focus to real issues uh, and then, you know, not fall victim 
to the games that they play. We understand that they, the folks that are trying to destroy this country and the folks that are trying to destroy our democracy do not believe in reality. You know, they live in an alternate universe. And so it's up to us, up to every person, from the folks that are elected in office to the folks that are on the ground that are working to the folks that are just uh, observing this on Facebook or Twitter or wherever else, to be stewards of goodwill and to disseminate information that's factually accurate and relevant to what we're talking about here. Misinformation is real. And misinformation is what is tearing our country apart. And so if there's anything that any of the viewers are gathering from this, please do your research, share factually accurate and relevant information, and inspire others to do so as well, because that is going to be the only way that we combat this. And you can't fight fire with fire. That's the thing. You can't fight fire with fire. And so, you know, when, when, when you're, you know, two, what, what is the old saying, Karen? When uh, two fools are arguing in public, you know, when you're arguing with a fool in public, do, don't do so because onlookers can't tell the difference. And so, you know, you, you have to understand that um, the only way that we're going to combat misinformation and the, the dissemination of which is to be sure that we are, we are on top of our game um, and we're coordinated on our messaging and the information that we're disseminating. Yeah, and obviously the thing, message for everybody for next year is that, you know, despite we're you know, worried about redistricting and feeling that maybe you got left out in the redistricting, that there's still things you can do, and we still need to go out there. Um, I've just heard that in our new legislative district that we're in, which is basically back to being Yavapai County, there are right now three Democrats who are going to run together and run clean. Now, we know that in that particular Arizona legislative district, where it's only about 25% of the people are Democrats and a majority of people are registered as Republicans, so it's an uphill battle. But right now, once we district is done, there's three people who are already, you know, getting ready to file their paperwork and decide to run. So we just need to encourage people at all those levels that even if you don't, even if you look at that and say, hey, I can't win because I'm too much of a minority in the party, we still need to get out there and run for those offices because at least you're, you're raising that voice. And you, mm-hmm. you don't win this year, but you know that. You don't win one race, but you win the next one. <laughs> if you go to the Democrats of the Red Rocks, who's a great supporter of our show, and we really appreciate their support, they have a whole button you can press about run for office. So if you want to know how to do it, and I think we're going to try to put together a show with uh, Kathy Kinsella. We'll walk you through step by step what you have to do if you run for office. Well, thank you for being with us. We've got two minutes left. I should make some announcements on the Democrats of the Red Rocks. Um, their political film club is as a film about Anthony Bourdain, and it's on January 14th. Find out the details on the website. Uh, the door annual meeting is January 20th, and I don't think they have a sponsor. Is it, uh, It's going to be all Zoom, Karen? It's going to be all Zoom, and the keynote speaker is Charlie Fisher, who's the executive director of the Democratic Arizona Democratic Party, talking about the effects of redistricting in Arizona, specifically on the legislative district side. So it's something we all need to tune in to hear about. Like I said, while we may live in a district where it's hard for Democrats to win, there are lots of districts in Arizona where Democrats are going to win, like congressional Mm -hmm. districts like Jevons. So even though we may be sort of depressed up here in parts of northern Arizona, the the outlook for the state is not as dire. And I'd like to thank the uh, 
Yavapai uh, Party, uh, Yavapai County Democrats for their support, and El Portal. Um, if you go on our website, vvid.org, folks, we can really use economic help. Uh, we're in more economic difficulty than we've been in the last 10 years of broadcasting. Uh, it's an expensive show. We have to buy the airtime. We have to pay up front every month, you know, this incredible fee. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking over at our station owner when I say that. Um, but um, we really need your help. And if you'll just put the button, um, uh, our old treasurer, uh, Dick Serrell, used to say, if you can donate monthly, that's the best thing. A small amount of money donated monthly is really is really helpful for us. All right, folks, um, bvid.org. Uh, you can listen to this. If you like this podcast, recommend it to your friends. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.